The Devil's Hour is a new British show on Amazon Prime starring Jessica Rain and Peter Capaldi. On this podcast, we discuss the pilot episode 333 and give our assessment on what worked, what didn't, the reviews, and anything else we come up with. Welcome to today's episode. So you've seen the cover to this, right? It's Peter Capaldi in the front, and he looks yeah. all ominous and it's stuff. It looks like almost a crime show, and yeah. it's not. It's not? No, it's not a crime show. Like, there's a segment of it that deals with an investigation and a murder and a kidnapping, but that's very small. This is a supernatural horror mystery show. Supernatural. Yes. Yeah. I was wondering what uh, it meant by that, because a lot of reviews kept on calling it supernatural, but I they never explained why it the was. The main character, Lucy Stevens, has visions, which she calls deja vu, which is, like, preceding the murders of certain people. Oh, it's like Minority Report almost. A little bit. Um, She doesn't realize what she's seen until basically the end of the episode, even though she's had these visions for a very long time. She also has these other side effects and her kid is weird too. And so is her mom. It's 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 in the family line. In my minimal understanding of the show's summary, I thought that it reminded me the most of Final Girls. Final Girls? The ones I have it as Haunting of Hill House, Brightburn, and Shining Girls. That's what I meant, Shining Girls. Final Girls is Final that Girls comedy. Is, yeah, it's the Thomas, Thomas Mill. Yeah, yeah, I meant Shining Girls. Yeah, yeah, Shining Girls definitely because of the time fluctuations. But also Peter Capaldi, I think, is supposed to be somewhat of a villain. And if he's anything like the Shining Girls villain, then he's doing it maliciously. But you're also sort of led to believe that maybe he might more be more like a blacklist type villain. I mean, where he's he's sort of a good guy. He described himself as like his character is definitely bad. Yeah. That's what he said. Well, the the thing is, he's not even in this episode, really. He's in it for we barely see his face. He's he's there for at least three minutes. I wouldn't give him more than <laughs> that's that. That's it. Beginning and other than that, not really. This is more about introducing us to Lucy Chambers or Lucy Stevens. She's changing her name. She broke up with her ex. They How many married. shows have we done where it seems like the main character is always changing their names or something? Like well, I mean, like, the law. Mike is her ex, and she sleeps with him several times in this episode just because she likes having sex. But their kid is so strange. Yes. Maybe that's the reason they broke up. And I don't blame Mike if that's the case. <laughs> Isaac, right? That's your talking Isaac about? Isaac is, yeah, so weird. Like, there's a bunch of creepy stuff that happens in this show. You've got the nightmares that are going on. There's the sleepwalking slash possessed kid and his imaginary friend slash he sees dead people slash he's emotionless. You have this recent move to a possibly haunted house. She gets these flashes of horror. Lucy does. She has a distressed, delusional old parent, her mom, Sylvia. Um, the kid also stares at, like, well, at you and your sleeping which is creepy and then there's these other giggling like sound you know where there's um like in sinister i think it is where there's giggling kids that you can sometimes hear in the background yeah Yeah, that's what happens here a lot of horror tropes but they're pretty effective and i assume that the music really helped as well because they got the newton brothers who have worked on multiple different horror shows and movies they worked on like oculus midnight mass the haunting at hill house gerald's game i mean all like all across the board the sound effects were good i do consider like jump scares especially the difference between a goofy jump scare and one that's really like good right is is always in the tone and the music that is accompanied it Uh, also like if you cover your ears during a horror movie and you 
just watch it, it's not nearly as scary. So yeah, the music always plays a big factor. Let's just jump into the episode. And so we start with Lucy and she's at this interrogation room. She's got like a bruised eye and in front of her is Peter Capaldi, but we can't see his face. He's just talking to her about this deja vu and she's getting these weird flashes of like a rainy night sky and like this person who seems to be in distress. Uh, and we learn what later that is all about. But then she wakes up. And it was all a nightmare, even the Peter Capaldi bit and him talking about deja vu. It's 3.33 in the a.m. And that's a recurring theme because she always wakes up at that time. That's why it's like Haunting of Hill House. If you remember the main, or yes. the, what was her name? I forgot what her name was. But the one who went on to be in You. Like she uh, would always have these night terrors and she would freeze. But unlike that, this lady, Lucy, she just wakes up at 3.33 a.m. every day to the same nightmare, and she doesn't know what to make Do of it. Do you know when the devil's hour actually is? 3.33, that's, that's well, the no, exact time. Well, no, it's between 3 and 4, and then obviously 3.33 being half the number of Satan's number 666. Which that's is 3.33. Yeah, yeah. That's what she says it about. in the episode when they're talking to Dr. Bennett, who's in the next scene, but first she's, like, drinking because she's like, okay, I'm up, up again at this hour. So she goes, gets herself a Jack Daniels, and that's where we're introduced to creepy little Isaac. He pops out of nowhere, and it looks like he's sleepwalking at first. I'm like, okay, well, this kid clearly has issues because he's just a sleepwalker. No, that's just his personality. He's just a dead so dog. Full, he yeah. doesn't respond <laughs> to you. He doesn't really do much. She kind of has to like push him everywhere. And that's where he's sort of like bright burn. Like he will continue to just be creepy unless you like kind of like push him to do what you want him to do. So she takes him to the doctor. Apparently it's the seventh doctor that he's been to. Mm -hmm. The seventh? Yeah. And she's telling him about all these imaginary friends that Isaac has. Barney, Stephanie, Alejandro, but the most recent is Meredith. And uh, he even draws her sometimes. And the doctor immediately throws out schizophrenia because her mom had, or someone in her family uh, has schizophrenia. And I understand the family-like relationship with disease and how that can be genetic. However, schizophrenia for anyone under 13 is exceptionally rare. So the idea that she would go to that before like autism or any of these other like tests that they could be running and just jump to such an extreme mental illness at such a young age kind of threw me. There's also a lot of imaginary friends that you were talking about, but I mean like, I think Again, everyone had imaginary friends Younger than 13. Then. Yeah. It just, I've never heard of anyone getting diagnosed. There are cases, but they're very, very small. Like there's not many. And then we get a jump to Lucy at her job. The scene transitions are abrupt. They, they happen quickly, but purposely I think that's so. purposefully because they want to kind of, because they're also splicing in those weird visions that she gets. Mm -hmm. And it's the horror like genre. So it goes with the territory, but I like it. So suddenly, because it's moving the plot along. Right. Suddenly we're at the doctor's office. Suddenly we're now at her social work. And she and this other social worker are interviewing this guy named Mr. Shane Fisher. He's abused his wife. He's assaulted her. There's been an incident um, and he's ignored this restraining order where he's supposed to stay away from them. And if he continues to ignore it, then they're going to have to put the child under protective custody, um, which they don't want to do. So they're like, you got to stay away from the rest of your family. They do not want you around. Cut to now. This is the part without Lucy in it. It's this investigation that's going on with this character called Detective Ravi. And yeah. I don't know a lot about him. We see him several times throughout the episode with his partner, Nick, and they're there's this murder that happens, and in order to solve it, they interview this one dude who gives them a lead that the, the killer was uh, driving a Nissan Vinay, which happened to be the same type of car that had been part of a kidnapping years earlier that Detective Ravi, even though he's only like 35 years old, still remembered because he'd read a blog about it. And then they follow that car 
and they see it stalled out and abandoned and they take uh, the nearest like hotel and they find the room that the person who owned the car was using and then they blackmail the uh, receptionist by saying that her dog uh, is an illegal breed into opening up the room and that's where they find a bunch of like imagine every square inch of your wall covered with pictures and paperwork and red string and stuff like that um and in the end it's just as like where is lucy chambers in big letters oh, and okay. also it's pretty clear that peter capaldi also has the ability that um i don't know what his name is in the show that's why i keep on referring it's gideon shepherd i don't think they've said it okay. is the thing so or maybe they have but i don't think they have the main thing is that the picture on the wall is the same picture of the place that Lucy ends up going to to try to save the person for her social work. And that happens so I just, afterwards. I just jumped to the complete end of the episode just to get out of the way of Ravi's storyline because it, to me, it really doesn't matter. It's so secondary. Okay. What I really want to talk about still is Lucy and her kid, Isaac. So Lucy's storyline really jumps between three different settings for the entire rest of the episode. It's either her waking up at 3.33 a.m. to her ex-husband for a one-night stand or her waking up to find Isaac staring at her at 3.33 and having to, like, shoo him back uh. to bed. And then there's back to Dr. Bennett's. That's the counselor. And she's having a one-on-one -on -one with her after Isaac is acted out at school. He's pissed on a kid's backpack who was bullying him. But then it becomes more about Lucy and Dr. Bennett. Like, they're talking and Lucy's like, I have these weird deja vu visions. And then the therapist is like, you should probably see someone about that. And she's like, I'm not worried about it. And she's like, you don't seem worried. You actually seem afraid. And that fear, I think, is the undercurrent to every one of her actions after that. Because then she's driving home trying to cheer up Isaac, who never laughs, and she nearly hits a kid because she's, like, concentrating on him. I, I read about that. So that's that's a car scene that's supposed to be, like, kind of strange, right? Because she said that, because Jessica Rain said it's not a humorless show. There's supposed to be, like, humor that's in it, right? I mean, she attempted to be funny. It wasn't very funny at all, no. Like, she just almost hits a kid. She jumps out of the car and starts blaming the kid. She, like, goes up to the parent. She's like, your kid just ran out in the front of the street, which seems like such a Karen-type move. <laughs> yeah. Especially since she's a social worker. You wouldn't think that she'd start, like, criticizing the kid and, instead of being like, hey. But I understand that her mind was a little, like, because she's she's absorbed with the rest of her life. And uh, But then we find out that the kid's name is Meredith. And Meredith is the same kid as his imaginary friend. So Meredith's not dead yet. But I think that means that Meredith will die. Like, we're not seeing deaths. All these imaginary friends are not people who are necessarily dead right now. But they might be dead in the future. Okay, so this this really is. I know we already compared it. But it really is like Haunting at Hill House. Where it's like the imaginary friends are actually real. And just depending on what happens to them will kind of like play out yeah, in the story. Yeah, she's not like 100% convinced of it. She's just like, that's an interesting name. And then she like drives off, right? <laughs> and so then she gets a call from Chloe. And Chloe's like, he's back. But he seems angrier this time. Actually, I'm overreacting. Hang up. And that's where she has that flash again of like, oh, no, the dead body. She's like, I got to go. But by the time she gets there, it's all, the crime scene's already happened. The cops are there. Chloe's dead. Her kids are dead. Like, she has, she's too late to do anything wow. about it. We okay. know that Peter Capaldi's character is also looking for Lucy. But Peter Capaldi's character also had the picture of Chloe's house. So he also knows that that was going to happen. From what I understand with their two storylines, because they're not supposed to meet until later on, it reminds me a little bit of The Old Man, where it's like you had John Lithgow's character, then you had Jeff Bridges' character. And it's supposed to kind of be, like, going on and on and on until they eventually meet. Well, the thing is, I don't know if they've already met yet. Her her memory, she's an unreliable narrator. It also kind of feels Westworldy. Mm. You know where Arnold actually like spoiler for Westworld if you haven't seen the first season. 
But like, you know where Arnold talks to Dolores all those times and you're like, okay, this is happening in the present. Right. It could be happening in the past. Mm, okay. The Peter Capaldi storyline and hers, when they're talking, he's constantly like, you don't exactly remember when this is. Or like they speak so <laughs> vaguely with each other. It's one of my cons. It's like, this is such a big deal. That happened. and But they never tell us what it is. And so it's just. But too... that's supposed to add to the mystery to the show, right? Yeah, but it's the only part of the show where I'm just like, get to the point. <laughs> the rest of it, I'm, I'm willing to go along with it. It's a pilot and it feels like it's moving at a good momentum. However, if, if it stalls, if it. That could be one of those shows where it's like it started off on a good foot, but then it immediately tripped and fell over. Do you remember the show Bloodlands? It starred James Nesbitt. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, the how that show came to be reminds me how this show came to be. Because if you remember, uh, Chris Brandon was the person who created and wrote Bloodlands. And because he was able to get someone who had worked on Line of Duty, uh, it ended up being that BBC decided to pick up the show. And here, I think it's almost the same thing. Tom Moran, I'll go over his prior credits. He wrote one episode for a 2019 show called Wild Build. And then two episodes for a 2019 show called The Feed. And that was it. And then he ended up writing this. And after the second episode, he said he went to Peter Capaldi. And Peter Capaldi basically decided to go on board. And then because of that, I think he was able to get all these other people, including, I'm sure you saw in the credits, Stephen Moffat. Uh, no, they even got, no, I hadn't seen that. Yeah, he executively produces it along with someone else uh, that has worked on like Couplings and Mr. Bean and also Doctor Who. And obviously, Peter Capaldi and Stephen The show's not funny. I'm just saying that, right? No, like, no it's I know. Not funny it's solid though like i like the show and i will probably watch the next episode of it i can't promise that i'd watch the entire series it's of it it's supposed to be six episodes and it seems like a lot of the and they're people, all released right now yeah they're, they're all on amazon they're all so released. Watch it. it seems like a lot of the audience binge watched the show and i think that that's the way that like it was almost supposed to be yes because i think that like a lot of people there's like so many theories online about everything it's gotten good reviews it has 7.6 on imdb well i didn't even get to like the final kind of not twist but like revelation oh, you're not done. okay yeah so yeah, so, like, you know how I was talking about the mom's character and these weird, like, flashes of this, like, uh, lady from the past, like, putting a gun into her mouth and then, like, trying to shoot herself at 333. Well, then we finally get, like, more to that. We see the full fleshed out version where she's, like, pulling the trigger. Nothing's happening, you know. <laughs> it's 333. The storm's going on outside. And then, like, her kid yells up from above, uh, upstairs. And it's like, mom, oh. And so, like, then Sylvia, we learn that that's actually Lucy who's upstairs, which... <laughs> Throws me again because, like, this seems like it took place a hundred years ago. She's in an outfit. Yeah, that you were looks saying like, the 1800s. Yeah, because yeah. she's in, like, this old robe. It looks like they're in this very old house. And so I was like, how is Lucy 200 years old? No, it, honestly, I think it's supposed to take place in the 80s. They just did a poor job making it seem like that's when it was. Making it represent that time. Like, I don't see anything that would have helped you gather. Like, it just looked like it was in the far past. So, but then we find out, yeah, that that's Sylvia. So Sylvia has had the same issue that uh, <laughs> clearly Lucy has and that her son also has. So it, it's that genetic line. I'll be curious if they follow that and they show us more of Sylvia's storyline. Like maybe her mom went through more adventures, but then she talks to her mom at the end and the mom like comes to for a second. And she's like, oh, it's nice to see you, Lucy. I'm so glad you're here. Um, but this isn't how everything was supposed to turn out. <laughs> and you're just like, wait, what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> 
And then the only other thing that I didn't bring up earlier, which now occurs to me, is that remember in that investigation storyline with uh, Detective Robbie and Nick, uh, apparently Robbie is scared of blood. And I feel like you don't add that to a character's description. Like he's a detective <laughs> who's scared of blood unless they're going to bring it in to play later. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he's going to see some blood. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the show. And so what would you give it overall? I would give it a, uh, oh man, it was between a seven and an eight. I would probably say an eight. Just for the pilot, I'll give it an eight. Yes. Okay. Eight. Yeah. 7.6 on IMDb, around 900 reviews. It has no tomato meter but four tomatoes and an audience score of 87 percent the guardian gave the show four out of five stars the independent gave the show four out of five stars and den of geek gave the show three and a half out of five stars so, so i mean overall critical success and do you recognize like the cast because they've been in a lot of shows that we've done the podcast I mean, for. the doctor who well yeah obviously pierre capaldi but jessica rain she played Catherine parr in becoming elizabeth Catherine parr oh Catherine the the mom the, 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 or the one who was like the stepmother, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. And then you also have Alex Fern. No, she did a good job. She was one of my pros is that the, like the main character is likable despite being like unreliable. Sometimes you have that and it's just like, I can't get on board with you because you're so crazy. But her, it was like, okay, I get it. And then have you met Nick Holness yet? Had I met Nick Holness? In this episode. I said, Nick and Robbie, they're yeah. the two investigators. Right. Well, He's like an Irish dude or something. Alex Ferns, who plays him, was an Andor. He played the character in Andor of Sergeant Linus Mosk. Yes, I know who you're talking and about. And then you have Phil Dunster, who was a main character in Ted Lasso, so, played Jamie Tart. Do you remember that, like, kind of angry, the, the, not the main evil guy in Andor, but, like, his main lieutenant? Yeah, like the guy who came in like episode two or something and was like, "I'm fully on board with what yes. you're doing." That's yeah. that's who that's Nick him? is. Yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, I can go through pros and cons as well. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, so the scene transitions were great for a mystery horror. Sometimes it can be aggravating how confusing it everything is, but not with this. It felt like we were actually like able to track things even with the fluctuating timelines and such. Uh, it was legitimately creepy. The most creepy one was when she was walking through the house. Lucy was walking through the house. She didn't believe in the whole imaginary friend thing, but she had seen Isaac make a picture of Meredith with like green hair and stuff. And she just looked at that picture and then she like turned around. She came back to that room and all the pictures were different it, and they were all like by like a girl like i think meredith had drawn those pictures and then it like flushed back to meredith's picture and you were just like whoa <laughs> it was low budget enough to show you don't need the computer generated animated effects to make it like super good because that can sometimes make it look the worst it yes. can make it look cheesy and such so yeah and the main character was good too and the 333 like the name of the episode actually applied to what was going on the entire episode, <laughs> which was like, it was right on point. Well titled. And it, when I first saw it, I was like, oh no, how are they going to bring this in? Because it, it was 3.33. And I was right. like, well, um, and then what are the cons? Cons. Uh, it, again, if it doesn't move, it's going to be bad. <laughs> I mean, I know that um, they wrote the show, the whole show, before they even started filming it. So I think so they, it's they, supposed they, to have they know where ending. they're going. That's yeah. good. And it's also consolidated. It's six episodes. So I trust the British six-episode series more than I do sometimes Americans with, like, 20. The scene with Isaac and the schizophrenia thing, no one even said autism. And he seems very autistic. And I just don't know why they would have ruled that out before saying he's got schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Like, I get that. People with autism don't usually uh, have visions or or like act exactly like that. But he he does have kind of like the attention, like he's not interested in certain things. He hyper focuses on others. Um, I don't know. That's that that's where I would have gone. But it is the seventh doctor that he's gone through. So maybe they just like we did that out <laughs> already. Uh, it takes a while for Lucy to confirm her visions. If they're that haunting to you, if they've been troubling you your whole life, you'd be 
sure to know whether or not they were true. Yeah. Especially if you could see, like, you would be following up on them. and Yeah, but whatever. And then the last thing was that the interrogation was too vague. Like, again, we only see Peter Capaldi's face at the very end of the uh, first episode. But up until then, it's all a lot of, like, you don't know what this is. Or that is not where why we're here. Or maybe you just don't remember. Or stuff like that. And it's, eh, just get to the point. <laughs> I won't give anything away, but I will say that, like, Gideon Shepard is supposed to be the key to the whole story. Yes. Yeah. And they... You, literally use a key sylvia does to open the lock to get the gun and her last name well and lucy's last name is chambers <laughs> ah, that's a good point too but like originally it's stevens so yeah uh, so <laughs> mike the, is kind of upset about that like she's like I, i'm gonna change my name back and he's like why <laughs> why <laughs> i don't want to stay here but like you should keep my name peter capaldi actually asked tom moran to rewrite parts of the script because apparently guinean shepherd <laughs> was just supposed to be a complete monster throughout the whole entire series if you're famous enough you can just jump in there and be like actually i don't like this page well again i i found nothing solidifying this fact but i do feel like because of the fact that they were able to get peter capaldi on this show very early on during the writing oh, process bad shows he's, no but i think that that was that was a main reason why this show was actually produced was it greenlit um he is in uh he's definitely in handcuffs and the only reason that lucy is talking to him is because he's insisted upon it like he won't speak to anyone else but she's oh, there with, those, again, a yeah, black yeah. eye. So yeah. I don't know what has preceded these events, and slowly we'll learn that information. It's also a little bit like Lazarus uh, Project, mm -hmm. I, I guess, for that reason. Um, also the latest British series that I think I completed. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one. Bye. Bye. Bye.